Well, hello, everyone. Woo! That's right. We just sang about Jesus. That's a reason to woo-hoo. I'm so glad to be here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is April Christina Farmer, and I'm excited to be in the house with you all tonight. And um, I'm excited about what God's doing. Um, and that can seem like somewhat of an oxymoron, but I am. I'm excited about what God's doing. I'm excited about this series that we're in called Heart to Heart. And I'm excited about this opportunity that we get to dig in to further into God's Word. Because what I know to be true is that God's Word is alive and it's active and it's relevant in our lives at every season of our lives, in every situation of our lives. And so last week we started this new series and, and we talked about this heart to heart, which is practically speaking, a heart to heart is, is when you create space relationally to do three things. You communicate intention, we clarify misunderstandings, and we challenge wrong thinking. And this is important for us to do. And so we're diving into this big heart to heart, as Jake told us last week, not with one another, but with God. This conversation with God to bring clarity and, and, and intention, uh, communicate intention and to challenge the wrong thinking that we might have about who our God is and what he desires from us, what he desires to give us and what he desires with us. And so we're looking at three of Jesus's most famous parables all found in Luke chapter 15. And they all work together to paint this picture of the heart of God for all of his people. And so we're going to continue to look at that. But the question is, why is that picture important? Why is it so important for us to know God's heart towards us? And I believe that if we don't know God's heart towards us, we cannot reflect God's heart to other people. And so that's why getting this picture is really important. And so last week, we looked at Luke chapter 15, and we started with the first two verses, and those verses said this. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so this is this introduction that Luke gives us into this conversation that was happening, this experience that Jesus had stepped into. And these religious leaders hated that Jesus, this rabbi, this holy man, was associating with sinners and tax collectors. They had decided, these Pharisees and these religious teachers had decided that these sinners and tax collectors did not qualify to be associating with this rabbi, to be associating with this holy man. They felt like he had no business being around them and being in relationship with them or even associating with them. And in response, Jesus heard their murmuring. He heard their, what they were saying. And I believe it grieved him. And one of the things I love about Jesus is that he doesn't just directly come at people when he sees them cutting up and saying stupid stuff. Jesus responds with a, with a story, with a parable. And so the first two you heard last week, it was the story of the, the, the lost sheep and the story of the lost coin. And as we surveyed those stories in both of those, here's what we find. We found something was lost, 
We saw full pursuit of that lost thing. We found that that something was found. And then what happened? There was a celebration. In both of those stories, it mattered greatly to the person who lost them what was lost. It had great value to them. To the shepherd, he had 100 sheep, but he went in full pursuit of the one that was lost. The woman, she had 10 silver coins. But what did she do? She swept up her whole house. She lit her lamps, burning oil, which was expensive, just to find the one. And each represented something lost that was treasured to them. And they did everything they could. They dropped everything to go in full pursuit to find the one. And we see a clear pattern here. Lost, pursuit, found, and celebration. Lost, pursuit, found, and celebration. And these parables present a picture of God's heart for all of his people. And so we're going to take a look at that. These, these, these two first parables were items that were lost. There were things that were lost. But what about when that which is lost is not a what, but a who? What if it's not a sheep or a coin, but it's a you? It's your brother. It's your sister. It's your father. It's your mother. It's your friend. It's someone you love, someone you care about. What if they weren't misplaced at all? What if they chose to leave? What if they chose to walk away, to abandon ship? What if they chose to break the relationship? What if it wasn't about something being lost or misplaced, but they actually made a decision? If that is the case, do they still qualify? for the pursuit? Do they still qualify to be found? Do they still qualify for a celebration? And in this third parable we're going to look at today, Jesus gets really personal. He's not talking about a thing anymore. He's not talking about an animal. He's not talking about a coin, but he's talking very personal. So let's take a look and see what he says. In Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it says, to illustrate his point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Hold up now. Now pause for just a second. Put yourself in that situation. I'm a mama. Y'all aren't parents yet. But imagine, if you will, going up to your mama or your daddy and say, I know you're yet alive, but I want your money. I know you're still alive and kicking, but I need the house. I know you're still here, but I need all that bank account. And I want it now. I mean, all the J.G. Wentworth in the world, 877-CASH-NOW. I want it right now. Give it to me now. Can you imagine? He's basically saying, I wish you were already dead, but since you're not I can't wait. Give me what I want right now. Now, I don't know about your mama, but my mama, that would have been a problem. <laughs> I might not be standing before you today had I said such words to my mama or to my daddy. It would literally saying, I wish you were dead. 
I don't want to wait for you to die. I want what I want now. And it was the ultimate act of disrespect. It kind of reminded me of when I read the story, I thought about Mulan. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your family. Dishonor on your cow. It was the ultimate act of disrespect and dishonor to say to your father in his face, I wish you were dead. And in the Jewish law, the younger son received a third of his estate, while the older son received two-thirds. So he's saying, I want you to divide it up right now and give it to me now. And as dishonorable and as disrespectful as that was, look what it says in the next verse. In verse 12, it says, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. What? He agreed. He fell back. And as a father, he had every right to stand his ground. As a father, he had every right to say, you have lost your ever-living mind. But he didn't. It says he agreed. Don't miss this. He didn't fight him. He didn't persuade him to change his mind. He didn't even disown him. He agreed to his son's request. And despite the pain and the embarrassment and the public disgrace this must have been, especially in this culture, he let his son have his way. He let him have what he wanted. And as a parent, I must say, that was probably the most painful part of the father's decision, was literally letting him go, letting him have his way. As a mama of two myself, one of the hardest things a parent can do is to see their child, the one they've invested in, the one they've given to, the one they've fed, they've cleaned, they've bathed them, they've given them everything. They pay for their schooling, they pay for the clothes, the shoes, and you had the nerve, the unmitigated gall to tell me you wish I was dead. And they insist. And sometimes as a parent, you realize, you know what? You got it. You think you know better? Okay. How hard that must have been for that father to know that what my son thinks he wants will destroy him, but I can't stop it. In fact, perhaps the best thing I can do is let him go. And so he let him have what he wanted, or at least what he thought he wanted. So the story continues in verse 13. It says, a few days later, this younger son, with his one-third of his father's estate, packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. He went far away from his parents, far away from his family. And there, what did he do? He wasted all his money in wild living. Totally disregarded all his home training and wasted everything in wild living. And it continues and it says this. It says, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs, the swine, the creme de la creme of swine. He fit, sent them in there. It continues on. It says, the young man 
became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Now, you've got to understand something here. I know we all in here, we like bacon. We like our pork chops. We like all those good, tasty things. Barbecue, that's barbecue. We like that pulled pork sandwich. But to the Jewish community, the pig was unclean. It was utterly unclean. And so you got to put yourself in the shoes of this audience hearing this story from Jesus. He's talking about cleaning and feeding pigs, associating himself with something that was unclean. And then he was so hungry, he wanted to eat what the pigs ate. And I can imagine the audience being like, Ew! totally disgusted. But this boy took off. He disregarded his relationship with his family. He disregarded his family name, dishonor. He disgraced them in the community. And to make matters worse, he squandered everything his father worked for. It's like spitting on everything your father and your mother worked for and saying it means nothing to me. This is waste. I can just do what I want to do with this. He did what he wanted. And he did what makes us have second thoughts about some of the things that we've done. We find ourselves sometimes in that situation where we feel like we know better. And he said, I can't wait to get out of here. Anybody ever said that? I can't wait till I get out my mama's house. I can't wait to get out of here. You couldn't wait to get to college. I'm going to turn up. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Ain't nobody going to tell me what time I got to be home. I don't have no curfew. I can hang out with who I want to hang out with. Y'all know. Y'all know. I did it too. Couldn't wait to get out. Living my best life. I don't care if I eat cheeseburgers every day. I don't have to eat your vegetables. I don't have to do nothing you tell me to do. And this is essentially what he did. He said, I'm going to do what I want to do, when I do want to do it, how I want to do it. And we've all done this with our parents. Even more so, we've done that with God. We told God, I know you have a way, but I don't want to do it your way. I don't want to live your way. I think my way is better. I'm going to go do things on my own. You're trying, to, you, you, you're trying to ruin my life. You're trying to take away my fun. You're trying to hold me back from living my best life. YOLO. And some of us have had seasons where this is our story. We just want to get away. We just want to get out. We don't want your rules. We don't want your structure. We don't want your law. We don't want your, your way of thinking. We don't want your way of loving. We don't want your way of responding. We don't want your way of giving. We don't want to live your way, God. I want to do it my way. I think my way is better. I think the culture's way is better. Some of us might be in the middle of this story right now. We're living our lives the way we want to live it. We figure we know better. Wild and free, doing what we want to do. But it wasn't, as, it wasn't as good as he thought it was going to be. It wasn't all he thought it was supposed to be. And no one wants to be in that situation. But this is where he found himself. Not only was he not working, not, was he, not only was he working with these pigs, he wanted what they had. He wanted to eat their food. 
Think about that for a minute. Have you ever seen a pig trough? I wish I had a picture. It's disgusting. They smell disgusting. Have you ever? Oh, y'all probably have it. Go look it up. Go watch some pigs, some little oinkies. <laughs> Just dig it in a pig trough with corn and mush and, and ugh. It's disgusting. But he was in such a desperate place that he wanted even what they had. And no one would help him. He had ultimately hit rock bottom. He had come to the end of his rope. And this is the picture that Jesus is teeing up. This son seems irrevocably lost in the eyes of everyone listening to this story. They were like, whoa, if he's eating with pigs, he is at rock bottom. There is no way he's ever coming back to his father after that. There's no way you could ever go back home after disgracing him that way. He was past the point of no return. And have you ever felt past the point of no return? Have you ever done something where you felt like, I just cannot tell my parents this? I'm going to tell y'all something now. I promise y'all don't tell nobody this story. The story today is in this room and on that internet. <laughs> Once upon a time in a land far, far away, a little girl named April liked this little boy. I ain't going to say his name. And we decided we wanted to make out in a car, in a neighborhood, down the street from my house. Nobody's back here. Nobody's going to see. Come on, just go back here. Supposed to have been home an hour ago. Making out. Around the corner where they're building new houses. It's a whole new neighborhood. Nobody back there. No street lights, no nothing. Just the dark and sinful. All of a sudden, this bright light appears, and it was not Jesus. <laughs> Who was it? It was the cops. Oh. <laughs> Y'all ain't lying. This is a true story. It was the cops. My daddy was at church. It was Wednesday night. It was church night. My daddy was at church, and my mama was at the house with my little bitty cousins, right? And I'm out making out in the car in the dark, and the cops shine a big old, bring, bring old bright light. We're just like, oh, God. No, Jesus, don't take me now. <laughs> but it was the cops. And um, my boyfriend was 18. I was not. I'm telling y'all, it's a true story. He comes. We rolled down the window, both of us in there, Jesus, we're sorry, Jesus, we're so sorry, Jesus, we're so sorry. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. He asked for an ID. So we handed him ID. And he looks and he sees that my boyfriend's 18 years old. And I'm not. And he saw my address. He said, I need y'all to follow me to your house. I'm going to take you home. And I was like, please don't take me home. Take me to jail. Please don't take me home. Please, please, please don't take me home. Please don't take me home. He's like, I got to take you home. And we get to the house, and I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I think he was driving. He was driving the car. And we get to the front of the house. And my daddy's still at church, so I didn't see his car. I was like, whew. 
and uh, he takes us to the front door. He says, he knocks on the door. My little cousin, she comes and she moves the blind. He said, ooh. And she said, she said, Auntie Liz, the cops are at the door. And I'm just like, Jesus, oh my God, my life is over. And I was supposed to leave to go on a trip to the Bahamas the next day with the chorus. Thank you. And I'm standing there. My mom comes out and she had this look on her face like, I cannot believe this. And the cop starts talking and talking about, um, we found these two making out in the car. I said, Mama, I was not working. She said, shut it up. <laughs> so long story short, um, he asked, this boy is 18. Do you want me to take him in or do you want to handle it? His life was in my mama's hands. My mama's like, no, I got it. She let him go, and that boy was, I'm so sorry, Miss Barrett, I'm so sorry. And he goes on home. Mama said, go on home, get out of here, go home. And I'm sitting there, and my mom, was, she was chilling. It was kind of eerie. It was like this eerie, she was cool, eerie. It was weird. But I didn't want to face my daddy, because my daddy had the authority to change my life forever. And I'm going to tell you the rest of the story later. So, <laughs> back to our story. This is the same situation. Have you all been in a story like this? You've done something. You feel like you've come to the end of your rope. You feel like you've hit rock bottom. But let me tell you, this is where the sun is right now. This is where I was in that situation. I'm like, I don't want to face my daddy. I don't want to have to go. I can't do this. And this man is sitting in this situation. In verse 17, it says this. It says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father. When he came to his senses, he snapped out of it. He realized how foolish he was. He realized that life with his father was good because his father is good. You get to that place where you realize what I thought I wanted ain't as good as I thought it was. But back home, there's food. Even the servants eat better than me. And he came to his senses and he made a decision. And what did he say? I will go home. He changed his mind. He turns back. He leaves a life of selfish pursuit and goes back home. Where? To his father's house. And what brought him to his senses? What brought him to this conclusion where he realized, I have lost my mind and I need to go home? It was the goodness of his father. When you are in the depths of despair, in this place where you can't imagine that I've gotten to this space, you realize, wait a minute, where I was was a lot better than here. The goodness of his father drew him back home. And when he realized the goodness of his father, he, his only response was to turn back and go home. This is what repentance is. This is what it means to repent, an admission of his own fault and his sin. So he prepares his apology. In verse 18, 
He says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Look at that prepared apology. I am no longer worthy. I have sinned against both heaven and you. Please take me back on as a hired servant. The depth of humility here is palpable. His brokenness is tangible. His surrender is real. And check out what happens next. So he returned home to his father. (laughs) And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and kissed him. He smothered him with kisses. It continues. His son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But check this out. Look what happens. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring and for his fingers and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Why? For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now he is found. So the party began. It's time to celebrate. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of the father's heart towards his son. And before the son could even ask him to be a servant, he was in full pursuit of him. Before the son even got back home, he saw him coming down the road and he started running. My boy is coming home. He started running. My baby has come back home. He started running. He never heard an apology yet. He never heard an I'm sorry yet, but he was anticipating the return of his lost son. And at his seeing him, He started running and he grabbed him and he embraced him and he kissed him and he loved him and he smothered him and he did all of this. And his son hadn't said a word yet, but oh, if y'all can see the picture I see in my head. Imagine that level of love. Imagine the love and the compassion and the embracing and the kissing. This mere act of returning drew the father's heart, just turning around and coming back, drew the father's heart. And after the son humbled himself to his father and repents, while the son was going to ask to be a servant, the father embraced him as his son. (laughs) That's probably one of my favorite parts about this story. Nothing he could ever do would change his status as a son. Nothing he could ever do would change his status as belonging to him. 
There was no sin too great. There was no wrong. There was no dishonor. There was no disrespect so big that the father's arms would not still be wide open for him. And the way Jesus tells the story is as if this father was looking for him, just eagerly waiting. He said, go get the one we've been fattening up. What if he had been fattening up that calf just anticipating his son coming back, ready to celebrate, ready to pull him back in? And he pulls the finest robe and the finest shoes and the finest ring, and he throws a party like nobody's business. It didn't even matter what his son had done. The son was home. The son had returned. Restoration, forgiveness, Reconciliation, love, home. You can always come home. Here's what we learn about the heart of God in this story. We learn that God's response is always mercy and grace. I don't care what you do. I don't care how bad you think it is. I don't care how unforgivable it seems to you or to anybody else. God's response is always mercy. It is always grace. And God's unconditional love operates outside of the bounds of our behavior. His love is never conditional. That night I got home, my mom laughed at me. She said, girl, I done done a lot of stuff in my life, but I ain't never been caught by no cops making out in a car. She said, get on in the house. I said, mom, since you so cool right now, can we just not tell daddy? He don't have to know. She said, baby, I can't, I can't not tell you that. I'm like, please, mama, please. I'm supposed to go to the Bahamas tomorrow. Like, really? Come on. She said, oh, I got to tell you, Daddy. I said, okay. So I go home. to my, I take my shower, and I'm hoping I'm asleep before he gets home. But I'm not. I'm too anxious. And I get home, and I lay in my bed, and uh, I hear my dad come home. And I'm laying in my room, and the way the house was set up, I'm laying in the bed facing this way, and he has to walk past my room and go that way to go to his room. And I'm laying there, and he sees me. He was like, he said, uh, good night, April. I said, night, Daddy. He hadn't known yet. He didn't find out yet. And then he goes into the room, and he says, hey, Liz. And my mom says, hey, Joe. And then there's silence, and there's silence, and there's silence. And the next thing I hear is, she did what? And I got up and I closed my door. (laughs) And I just knew my dad was going to come in there and tell me I wasn't going. I knew he was going to read me the riot act. (laughs) Nothing happened. So the next morning, I woke up, realized I was still alive. (laughs) And I get up. And my dad comes in the room. He said, he said, get up and get dressed so you don't miss your bus. And I'm just waiting for him to say something. I get up, I take my shower, and I'm killing myself because he hasn't said a word. I'm like, this is going to be bad. Like, what is he going to do? He's not even really talking. Like, what is going to happen? We get in the car. He doesn't say a word the whole trip. 
am mortified. We get to the bus, and I'm just waiting, like, say something. Punish me. Something. I feel horrible. This is worse than death to me right now. He didn't say anything. He put $400 in my hand. He gave me a hug. He kissed me and said, have a great trip. And I lost it. One of the worst things I've ever done. (laughs) And he didn't even mention it. He loved me in a way that I did not expect. And God's love is the same way. You hear it in the story I just shared, and you hear it in this story that Jesus has left for us, for us to always remember. It is never too late. You are never too far gone. There is nothing you could ever do that could turn away God's love for you. You can always come home. His arms are always open. And so that may be you. You're sitting here today, and you feel like, you don't know what I've done. It's been more than making out in the car, Miss April. God can't forgive that. God doesn't want to be close to me. He doesn't have anything for me to do. There's nothing he can do with me now. Not so. God's love for you is unconditional. His purpose for you has never changed, and it will not change. And all he asks is to turn to him He's waiting. He's running already towards you, ready to kiss you, ready to embrace you, ready to draw you home, ready to throw his party. He just needs to see you coming. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, not some, not specific ones, not the ones that we think are are worthy enough, all unrighteousness. All we have to do is come home. And if that's you today, if there's something that you've done that you feel far away from God and you feel like, I can't, I can't go back. He doesn't want me. He wants you today, now. Would you come home? I want to give you an opportunity to turn to make your confession to God, to prepare your apology because God's already running towards you. So right where you're sitting, I want to give you some space just for a moment in this quiet. Just close your eyes. Whatever it is, maybe it's something that you've been holding on to Maybe you're the one who walked away from him. Maybe you decided your way was better than his. This is your opportunity to turn back to him, to recognize that there's nothing that you've done or could ever do that would pull his love away from you. You can come home today. And if you're in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus, Now is the time. Today is the day. We serve a risen God. 
The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus, God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. And that includes each and every one of you. And if you're in this room today and you haven't given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to give it to him right now, right where you are. His arms are open. He's running towards you. You feel him. You can see him. Run towards him. Tell him you need him because he sent his son to die on a cross for anything you could have ever done or will ever do. It's already been covered by the blood of Jesus. And in my heart, there's a sense of urgency because we don't talk about this a lot, but tomorrow is not promised to us. It is not guaranteed that we wake up tomorrow. And not only that, Jesus, the same one who rose from the dead and is alive and sitting at the right hand of the Father, one day he's coming back. And he's coming back for his children. John 1, 11 and 12 says that he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Each and every one of us, for those who believe in him and choose to follow him, we have the right to become his children. And one day, Jesus is coming back for his children. Are you ready? Are you ready? Next week, we're going to continue this series and talk about the next part of this parable, about the older brother and what happened with him. So you make sure you come back. But before we leave tonight, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing one final song. And this song talks about who paid the debt for each and every one of our sins? So I want to pray with you. Father, I thank you for the greatness of your love, for the overwhelming, never-ending, abounding love of the Father that extends to us in every situation, no matter how far gone we have gone, you always receive us back. You always welcome us home. So God, if there's anybody in the room today that needs to come home, God, I pray that right now they reach out to you, that they recognize that your arms are open wide and that the price that needed to be paid for anything they could have ever done has already been paid by the blood of Jesus. I pray, Father God, that right now they would ask you into their hearts. And Father, for those who have walked away from you, who have chosen to go their own way, to live life the way they want to, they, they, they believe in you, but they haven't committed to you, God, I pray they make the decision to follow you today, fully, wholeheartedly, steadfastly, not perfectly, but assuredly, knowing that they can rest 
in your love for them that never ends and never fails. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room today. And I bless you for your salvation, for your love, for your mercy, for your grace, for your forgiveness, and for your never-ending love. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.